Amen. Thank you, worship team, for leading us to that place this morning. What a powerful thing to be able to declare and just to consider what it means to take everything to God. So easily we try to carry things on our own. We try to fix things on our own, and He's never asked us to do that. And so often we struggle to trust Him to do that. And that'll be maybe a little part of what we're going to be looking at this morning here as well. But as we begin, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to read this passage again. I was talking with Pastor Scott this morning, that uh, we always have kind of a theme passage for these uh, sermon series and things like that, and often we kind of look at it the first week and kind of have it on the slide, but we don't necessarily come right back to it, and this time, every time I go to prepare, I just have to keep coming back and starting over with this passage again, and it's uh, been a little bit of an interesting journey that way, where I just, uh, God keeps calling me back to read this for us first, and it's just a powerful thing for us to consider as we do that, but 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we'll start in verse 14, uh, and we'll read uh, this portion of the passage here together. It says this, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And He died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making His appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And there's so much in here, but that passage just keeps growing more and more fascinating to me each week as we walk through this series and this week, it was that very first verse that just struck me as I was preparing. For Christ's love compels us. What compels us? What compels you? It's such an interesting line. It's beyond motivation. It's beyond instinct or behavior or feeling a certain way. It's not about want or opinion or preference. What are you compelled by? What do you have to do? What is the source of direction in your life? Are we compelled by the love of Christ? His love for us and His deep love for the people around us. Do we know His love in that way that we cannot live any other way? Or do we follow our own hearts and even just the pressures and responsibilities we feel, the selfish things we want? Paul was compelled by the love of Jesus in the life that he lived and the things that he did. Are you? 
It's an interesting question, and we're coming to the end of this series and this year, our year exploring the sacred presence of God in our lives and what He means for us to do with that. How He means for us to know His presence so deeply, so fully that others experience it when they are with us too. What it means for us to be a sacred presence Spiritual people alive in the world and bringing that life to others. And this journey this year has been fascinating. The call that God has placed before us is profound and difficult. And it's not something that we can take lightly. But it's also not something that He has left us to figure out on our own because it's not about us. It's not about our efforts. It's His presence alive in you, in us. And so it's His presence working through us. And the reality is we will find the path forward as we are found in Him. And that's what Paul found on that road to Damascus. That's what Paul's trying to tell us in this passage, trying to help us see that Christ's love compelled him Because he had found in Jesus something that cannot be found anywhere else. And he's inviting us, inviting you to find the same life that he did. It's exciting. And it's more than a little intimidating because do we even really want that? If we're honest with ourselves, do we want what Paul had, what he describes for us in this letter? Because it's amazing, but it's going to cost you everything. But we've explored this life in a number of different ways this year. The fruit of the Spirit, the prophetic presence of Jesus, the power of the presence of God. And now we're looking at what it looks like for this power to be alive in us. The things that we should do, the things that we should be if the presence of Jesus is truly alive in us. We've looked at serving and caring and giving and growing, teaching and listening. And we could list dozens more, but we're coming kind of to the last two. Two very dangerous and difficult ones. Two practices that can be very easily misunderstood and easily misused. But that we have to understand if we are going to bring the power of the presence of God into the lives of others. The practices of correcting and forgiving. And it's going to be fascinating, but this morning we're going to start with correcting. And correcting is perhaps one of the most dangerous practices we are going to explore in this whole series. It's one of the practices that is at the same time extremely important and also far too easy to get wrong. It's something that probably we don't actually see enough of, something that we avoid too easily as we worry about hurting relationship or looking judgy and we watch people we care about continue down a road that leads to hurt and destruction. 
And at the same time, we see it far too often and too easily and too comfortably. YouTube and the media is filled with preachers and pastors who are very hungry to correct, to call out theology or things they see as wrong, wagging their fingers and shaking their fists at the world and even their brothers and sisters in Christ. The word heresy is thrown around with casual abandon over every little disagreement and whole ministries and churches are written off at the drop of a hat. Correcting is an important tool, but it's a dangerous and destructive one too. But we do it too. It's easy to point out someone else's flaws or mistakes, beliefs or behavior that we don't like or we don't agree with, or that we just maybe aren't comfortable with. It's easy to judge, especially from afar. And it makes us feel righteous and powerful and good by comparison. I don't have to worry about my stuff as much. I'm fine as long as they're worse. But I think we know that's not good, that's not right. I think we know that those preachers are missing it and that sometimes we get caught up in it too and we go along with it because it's something we see happening a lot. It's easy to judge even when we don't have all the information. In 1994, there was a very famous court case that probably we're at least a little bit familiar with, the famous McDonald's coffee lawsuit. A lady sued McDonald's because her coffee was too hot. She accidentally spilled her coffee on herself and got burned, and she sued McDonald's for millions of dollars, and she was roasted the world over. Another entitled person with a frivolous lawsuit just trying to get rich, a slip-and-fall con artist wasting the court's resources. That's what I was told. And that's what I thought for a long time, and I passed judgment on her so easily. But the reality of that case was far more complicated. It wasn't her. There was a larger, genuine public safety concern. This woman didn't just get a little burn and was complaining. She got significant third-degree burns requiring skin grafts. And this problem was widespread with McDonald's coffees. They were making their coffee way too hot, more than they were supposed to be. And this was a huge public safety issue. And so, yes, sure, coffee is hot, and we chuckle at the little label on our coffee mugs. Even today, and our world is too bubble-wrapped, we think, and maybe so in some ways. But at the same time, you should not be able to get serious third-degree burns from a cup of coffee. And there needed to be a much larger change in that restaurant's practices. And her story was far more complicated than I understood. But I judged her. And it made me feel good. Because I could think I was better than her. I wouldn't be so selfish like that and sue someone over something so silly. And that's what we're looking for. When we judge and want to correct a lot of times that feeling of superiority. I might not be great, but I'm better than them. And that's all we need. So what is correcting then? Just don't do it. The world is too complicated. Leave people alone. We're just going to be arrogant anyway, so don't do it. Hardly. 
This is something that God calls us to do consistently over and over in His Word. He wants us to bring correction to one another and be willing to receive correction. To care for each other, to watch each other's journey, to help one another be accountable, to help each other be faithful. Proverbs chapter 12, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. And I looked it up, that's actually the word that it uses in that translation, stupid. Proverbs 15, whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. Proverbs 29, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. And Jesus himself talks about this. So often we hear kind of pseudo-Jesus ideas, feel-good Jesus ideas thrown around in our culture. Jesus just loves people, man. Jesus doesn't judge people. But he calls us himself to correct one another. Matthew 18, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. Just between the two of you, if they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you, if two of you on earth, agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. This is a strong statement, a huge call. We are supposed to bring correction to one another. Not out of a heart to punish or assert dominance or authority, but out of a heart to restore relationship and grow together. And Paul carries this forward into the life of the church. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Those who continue to sin rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest will also be fearful of sinning. So we're going to bring some folks on the stage right now. Can you imagine? How great would that be? No, it would not be. We're supposed to, though. Maybe not. You might quite like that. And if your chest suddenly got real tight while you were sitting there, you got real uncomfortable in your seat, maybe that's something you need to confess to somebody in your life. We're not going to do that today, but he goes on to Galatians chapter 6. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you too may be tempted. Carry one another's burdens, he says, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. Correction is a part of following Jesus together. It's not a comfortable part. It's not an easy part, but it's something we have to be doing in relationship, in community, in faith, and all humility. We need to help one another toward wholeness and holiness. 
We all have blind spots. Or spots that maybe aren't so blind, but that we willingly ignore. We know. I say blind spots, but we know. That behavior, that attitude, the way we treat that person that we find annoying, the fact that we find them annoying at all, who on earth are we? Or that we're jealous of, or our gambling, or secret sin, we know. So we need each other. We need someone that we can talk to, that we can share these things with, that we can bring these things into the light to speak the words out loud. To take away the secret, the the hidden shame. We know these things hurt us and confession is a wonderful part of finding healing. But when we walk in relationship, we sometimes see things the other person doesn't want to see. And we need to be willing to speak boldly and bring correction that we both can grow in holiness and relationship. Sin brings separation. And to bring correction restores life and relationship. And that is good, even when it hurts. Even when it's uncomfortable. And we need to be bold in one another's lives because if we truly love each other, we don't want to see each other hurt Correction is good and it's something that God calls us to. But there's something interesting in these passages that we've looked at. Something that stands out to me and stands in contrast to a lot of the correction we see happening in public spaces. A lot of the correcting that the church worries about. All of this correction that God is calling us as his followers to do was with one another in the church, in his family. A lot of the attention we see in the church today is directed at the world. Preachers love to rail against the world and people love to listen to them. The evils of the world, the decline of civilization, the horrors of secularization and the abandoning of God's word. We hear it all the time. And again, it's easy and it makes us feel good and righteous. Look how bad they are, whoever they is. And so then, look how good I am by comparison. And lots of the criticism of the world we see is true. The world is a broken place. Surprise. We see very broken things happening, of course. The world isn't, is, is following its own instincts and its own pattern. It's trying to find good without God, trying to make right on its own. And if we can't do that, we'll just make wrong right, and then we're right anyway. And it's so easy to point the finger at the world to see the problems and the hurt and the brokenness. But what is God calling us to do about it? To rain hellfire and brimstone, to shake our fists, to protest and yell and shout about how evil the world is. Or to just ignore it. Let the world go to pot and hide away. It's not easy because evil is real. And we see it. So what do we do about it? 
And I stumbled across a comment this week, and it's been continually fascinating to me, the ways that God has been speaking as we've walked through this year. He's continually been speaking as we navigate this idea of sacred presence, and He wants us to understand His heart. And when I saw this, I hadn't even started to prepare. I didn't remember what this specific topic was that we were looking at this week. And I saw this comment and it just hit me a little weird at first, but it's made me think more and more as I've reflected on it and as I was preparing. It was amazing how God brought these things together in His timing. But I was reading this week and I came across this statement. If God didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn it, I doubt He sent you. If God didn't send His Son into the world to condemn it, I doubt He sent you. And my first instinct when I heard that was, well, yeah, but. And I had to stop myself and really think about it. And first I had to remind myself that it was even true. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. And just starting there again. For God so loved the world. Whoever believes that gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And as I thought about that more and more, I realized just how different of a posture it's calling me to take. You think Jesus didn't see the evil and the brokenness around him? You think he doesn't see it now? Do we think he is not fully aware of how the world is living and the way it's going and the way people are treating each other and the brokenness and the unhealthy things we are even trying to convince ourselves are good now? when we change our posture from condemning to saving, how dramatically different is our approach? How different is our heart from one of anger and fear to one of love? From one of rejection and division to one of hope and desire for restoration? And how different is our focus from us and what we want the world to look like to Jesus and what He wants the world to look like. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul shows us that this hatred of the world is missing the call of correction in the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12, he says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral. Let me read that again. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral. Or the greedy and swindlers or the idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave the world. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? He says, are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. The correction the world needs is not our judgment. 
It's the gospel. Without the gospel, why would they change their behavior? Without the Spirit, how is the world supposed to know good? Why do we judge them as if they should know better? How can they? Light came into the world, but people loved darkness rather than light. And until their eyes are open, the wisdom of God will seem like foolishness to them. The world doesn't need our hate. It needs our love. It doesn't need our judgment. It needs our witness. It doesn't need our condemnation. It needs Jesus because without Him, we can't see anything either. And the irony is so many of the loudest critics of the world from the pulpit have been removed from their own ministries for horrible instances of abuse and tyrannical leadership. So often leaving the world, pointing the finger right back, wondering what the church even then has to offer if we're no better. And so it comes back, as it always does, to Jesus. To the work of the Spirit in our hearts and the work of the Spirit in the people around us. We get so hung up on their behavior. When Paul has already given us the path, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We want to fix things. We want to make things better. We want to help people. But the great commission that Jesus gave, it, gave us was not go into all the world and fix it. It was go into all the world and show them who I am. And every time we try to make them like us or criticize them for not acting the way we think we should, we miss their real need. The starting point of relationship with Jesus. And part of that, if we're honest, is because so often we don't trust Him to work. Because we've tried that. We've prayed for someone for a long time and Jesus doesn't seem to be doing anything. And the world is only getting worse and that person just keeps hurting themselves. But we can't take over for Him. We have to trust Him. We have to submit and believe that He really does love them. He really does love the world so much more than we do. Because He loved us more than we deserve too. And He knows them better than we do. And what they need is not our opinion of their behavior, but His Spirit alive in their heart, making them more like Him. Just like we do. Jesus talked about removing the plank from our own eye before we try to remove the speck from our brother or sister's eye. He has so much work to do in our hearts first before we worry about someone else, let alone a world that doesn't know him. But he doesn't say we shouldn't care about that speck. We just have to see that whatever correction we want to bring reflects our own deep need too. And so we implore each other on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God.
pray together. Father God, we again thank you for your word. And we thank you for this powerful witness and testimony. And God, this is a dangerous one. Sometimes we are far too eager eager to bring that correction. We want to fix every little thing and fix behavior when, God, you need to fix our hearts. But, Father, we do need to care about the specks in each other's eyes. We do have things that we don't see that cause problems. So as Solomon calls us to in the Proverbs, help us to be open and hungry to receive correction. Soften our hearts and make us humble, God. That we can be shaped and molded and sharpened by one another as we try to bring the Spirit to one another. But Father God, we see a world that is so broken and lost as well. And God, we pray that you would give us wisdom. Give us love. Give us patience and a hunger to bring the light of Jesus there. Father, they need correction, but not from us. They need it from you. And Father, give us that patience to wait for the work that you are doing. Help us to speak the truth of Jesus boldly. The power of the gospel alive in the world. Bringing all things in line with your perfect will. Help us to wait, to know that you are working and that you are good. God, you have a lot of work for us to do. Help us not to get caught up in the things we want, but the things that you want. In Jesus' name, amen.